we start our Risen series this morning. Uh, and to get it started, I want to share with you a story that I think will explain um, how important and how exciting this series is. So I'm going to start with the story. Scott and Leslie had just gotten married and they had left on their honeymoon. Their first night, and they drive for hours, and they finally get to the, to the hotel, this luxury hotel of their reservation, and they're excited to spend their first night together in this luxurious bed, and they go upstairs in the early hours of the morning, and they open the door, and they go into the room, and all they find is a pull-out couch, a chair, and a table. A little bit disappointed. They spend their first night on that pull-out couch, tossing and turning on the paper-thin mattress, feeling every spring and every bar. How many of you have ever slept on a pull-out couch? Needless to say, uh, their first night was ruined, and Scott, being highly upset the next morning, gets up and he goes down. He's going to go find the clerk at the front desk and give him a piece of, their mind, of his mind. And so he gets downstairs, and he just starts bellyaching, saying, man, I can't believe we paid this top money. And the clerk says, hold on a second, let me just double check your reservation. He looks at the reservation. He said, man, there must be some mistake. Did you not open the door to the bedroom? Scott, being a little bit puzzled, turns around, runs back upstairs, and goes to the door that he thought led to the closet. And he opens the door, and he finds this massive king-size bed. He finds roses and chocolates and, and, and all this on the bed. The entire night, that room was completely available, yet completely unused. There are some doors that are too important to be left closed. Unfortunately, this is true in our lives. There are some doors in our lives that are too important to be left closed. And too many of us travel and live our entire lives with closed doors, never quite experiencing what is available to us by God. This is what this series is about. You see, right after Jesus was crucified, his disciples were terrified. The man that they were following, the man that they believed and they just watched die and fearing for their lives, they, they ran away and, and, and they hid behind a locked door in a room. And when they went into that room, they went into that room defeated. They went into that room crushed. They went in that room full of sorrow. They went into that room paralyzed by fear. But something happened in that room. Because when they walked out of that room, they walked out not the same way they walked in. They walked out in confidence. They walked out filled with faith. And they walked out ready to take on the world. So what happened in that room? We're going to be talking about that over the next five weeks because our hope is that the next five weeks, the same transformation that took place in the disciples' lives behind that locked door can take place in your life and my life and those around us. So let's open that door this morning. 2,000 years ago, two pieces of lumber nailed together suspended the greatest claim in history. 
The cross of Jesus Christ uh, rests on the timeline of history like a, like a, a diamond. Its tragedy summons all those who are suffering. Its absurdity attracts all cynics, and its hope lures all those who are searching. And over the course of history, the cross has been idolized and the cross has been despised. The cross has been gold-plated and worn around necklaces and on pins, and the cross has been burned. The cross has been worn, and the cross has been trashed. In fact, history has done everything to the cross except one thing. Ignore it. The cross cannot be ignored. You may hate it. Atheists might try and get rid of it. But the cross never allows you to ignore it, does it? The cross demands an answer. The cross is confrontational. Two pieces of wood nailed together 2,000 years ago brings everyone to a response of some sort. And that response is up to that individual. So what really happened on the cross? Why is the cross this powerful? Why is the cross this strong for those who don't believe and those who do believe? But the cross has been noticed. The cross has been the big source of tension, but the cross refused to be ignored. So why? What happened on the cross that makes it so big in our lives? Well, in a 12-hour period, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was forsaken by his friends. He was denied by his followers, tried by his accusers, tortured by Roman soldiers, and crucified by his enemies. So why did God allow these events? Why did Jesus have to go through all of this suffering? Why did Jesus have to endure the grueling and horrendous death of crucifixion? Today we're going to look at two areas the first area we're going to look at is what really happened on that cross. And the second area we're going to look at is if I really get what happened on the cross, how does that change my life? Probably one of the best scripture verses uh, or the most well-known scripture verses ever known is John 3.16. So I want to read that to you and I'm going to go through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So what happens when people encounter the cross of Jesus? And to look at that and to answer that, we're going to go back to the cross of Jesus and look at three people who were there at the foot of the cross when he died. John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27 says this, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. In that small passage, we see three things that happened at the foot of the cross. Number one, we see redemption. Number two, we see relationship. Number three, we see responsibility. 
We see redemption. We see relationship. We see responsibility. The first one I want to look at this morning with you is Mary Magdalene, and we're going to focus on redemption. Mary Magdalene was one of the least likely people in the New Testament to receive redemption. In fact, according to most religious people, especially in those times, she shouldn't be there. In Luke chapter 8, verse 2, we read that Mary Magdalene was a woman from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. This poor lady had been in bondage for a long time. She was a woman from the streets. She was a prostitute. In fact, Satan was working really hard in her life to destroy her and doing a really good job at it. And as a result, Mary Magdalene was in a hopeless and helpless situation. So why was she at that cross? She was at that cross because she was in a hopeless and helpless situation until she encountered Jesus Christ, until she encountered redemption. So at the foot of the cross of Jesus, we see this amazing picture of redemption. We can play that video, John. Why did you run from us? Instinct. I've seen you before. My other life. Yes, she was death. You were there beside his mother. Was she also the woman with you at his tomb? If you knew what happened there, what cares what you Enlighten me then. It's beyond us. Spare me the riddles and zealot babble. Where did you take Yeshua? right here. Is he a goblin? A sprite? Alive again somehow? Open your heart and see. I see delusion. To keep a crusade alive, I could have what I want. Pulled from you, put you to death like that. It doesn't matter. Ah. A matter. No. Then give me the others and I'll grant you freedom. I'm already free. Alive or dead. Show me those who follow him. You look for something you'll never find three views. You look for the wrong thing. I think one of the most powerful things said in that movie that I enjoyed the most, you've got Mary Magdalene, and obviously here she is, and, and she's been set free and redeemed and, and, and from, by, by Jesus Christ. And, and in this scene, they're trying to track down where the disciples had taken Jesus' body. They're convinced that they had stolen him, and he says to her, listen, if you will tell me, I'll, let you, I'll set you free. And she says, I'm already free. I love that. You know, your freedom that comes in Christ isn't circumstantial, man. Your freedom that comes from Christ is internal. And here's this lady saying, man, if you knew what I'd been through, in essence, the seven demons and, 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 and the life that I was living, man, you can't, captive, you can't put me in captivity. I have, he's set me free. 
And that's, that's just the picture of the cross. The first thing that we see at the foot of the cross is the cross is a place of redemption. In fact, Paul describes the work of Christ in this way in Acts 26, 18. He says, it's to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The cross is a place of exchange where you can exchange your darkness of your life for the light that is in Christ Jesus. And as God begins, as God begins to take control uh, of your life and move in your life, you get to exchange your weakness for his power. You get to exchange your guilt for his grace. You can exchange your past failures for future hope. And that's exactly what happened to Mary Magdalene. All of the dirt, all of the shame, all the unworthiness that she felt, man, she exchanged for the hope that's in Jesus Christ. What I love about Mary Magdalene is so many times people say, you know what, I've done too much in my life. If, if you only knew what, I, what I've done in life, you, you, Jesus wouldn't want me. Well, I want to tell you, Mary Magdalene is there for you, if that's you. Because Mary Magdalene robs us of every excuse. In Mary Magdalene, Jesus says, man, she was at the cross, and I set her free, and she was far worse off than you were. And if I set her free, what more can I do for you? And so Jesus sends a message to all those who are condemning themselves and saying, man, I've done too much sin. I've wronged too much. He says, man, Mary was there for you. Mary represents you. And at the cross, there's redemption for you. Mary found redemption, and redemption is costly, isn't it? Redemption is, is costly because what we see, if the cross is redemption, what we see is this, that, that the price for redemption is the Gethsemane. When we think about Jesus at Gethsemane, he was in agony saying, Lord God, if there's any other way besides crucifixion that can lead to the salvation of these people, those who are lost, let it be so. If there's any other way, take this cross from me is what Jesus says, but not my will, your will be done. And God's response to him is, no, there is no other way. The only way for redemption is through your shed blood and through death. What kind of love exists in Christ for him to suddenly say, okay. If that's the only way to set people free is my death, then I will take it upon my shoulders. That's the cost of redemption. The price for redemption is seen in his torture. The price for redemption is seen in his crucifixion. And it's in this, it's in this that we can get a a glimpse of what, of the love of Jesus Christ, the passion that he has for you, the passion that he has for me. And while the Bible says that while we were still sinners, he loved us that much to die for us so that we would never die like that. So we didn't have to die like that. What kind of love? You wrap your mind around that? It's hard. I hope we don't ever lose that appreciation for the love of Christ. Secondly, the cross is a place of relationship. Another lady that was there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. I can't imagine what she was going through. In fact, I don't like to let my mind wander too much about what that must have been like. I try and 
capture the emotion in my mind when I think about these things, but that's one I don't want to think about. I don't want to have to imagine seeing one of my kids being crucified on a cross. But that's what she went through. I can't imagine the torment. I can't imagine the pain. I can't imagine the horror to see the, the shameful um, um, execution you know, of, her, of her son in a way that criminals deserved back in those times. But there she was. I mean, Jesus sees her uh, there watching everything happen. He says something to her. Again, John 19, 26 through 27 says this. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. What Jesus is saying is that we are now in relationship with him. We are not, we're, we're no longer live in just the relationship of our immediate families, but because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, we who believe in him have become family. We've become extended. This is why you are my brother and you are my sister. Whether you're blood-related or not, we are Christ-related, which is stronger than that. And so what Jesus is saying is, man, you now have relationship. Yes, you have relationship with me first and foremost, but because you have relationship with me, me is your father. That makes you brothers and sisters. You have relationship with each other. Ephesians 2.19 says this, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You are the family of God. We are the family of God. And so his death on that cross and his resurrection made us relatives, brought us into relationship. And because of the cross, we are all in God's household and it takes all of us to make God's household complete because we each have different jobs. Romans 12, 4 through 5 says this, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And it couldn't be more clear. What God is saying is, man, if through Jesus Christ we have become one body, we have become one person, and each person is completely different. And each person has a different role, but we all belong to each other. When you struggle, who do you go to for help? See, God's put us together that we can carry each other's burdens, that we can walk with each other. The cross is a place for relationship. So we've got the cross as a place for redemption, the cross as a place for relationship, and now the cross is also a place of responsibility. Using that same scene where Jesus says to his mother, woman, this is now your son, and to the disciple he loved, John, John, this is now your mother. It's not just about relationship. At that moment, he is giving John responsibility. He is basically saying to John, John, I am no longer going to be here, so you need to take my place and be a son to my mother. You need to take my place and be a son to my mother. And John took that role seriously. The scripture says from that time on, he took Mary, Jesus' mother, into his home. The cross is a place of relationship and see, the responsibility didn't just end with John. There are other people that took the place of Jesus. Remember Simon? He's walking, he's just coming into the city, and Jesus is carrying the cross. And all of a sudden, Jesus 
trips and, 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 and he falls. And all of a sudden, the, the Roman soldiers say, hey, listen, no, you need to take, you come here, take the cross of Christ. Simon is now carrying the cross. There's another image, there's another picture of us taking the place of Jesus and carrying the cross. And then in addition to that, we're told in John 20, 21, that Jesus says this to us, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Man, it is a it is a place of responsibility. It's right there at the cross of Christ. It led to the crucifixion of Christ. And after his resurrection, he hands an authority to, to, to us and says, now go, you are my plan. You must take my place. As I have died for others, you must die for others. At the cross is redemption. At the cross is relationship. And at the cross is responsibility. All three of those. That is the message of the cross. Redemption, relationship, responsibility. Now what happens if we really embrace it? What happens if we really open that door and walk into the reality of living in redemption and living in relationship and living in responsibility to the message of the cross? What happens if we really get this? Do our lives change? See, when we really get the message of redemption. We really wrap our minds around the fact that we really allow ourselves to go there and say, man, wait a second, because Jesus died for me, I am free. Every sin, the worst one I can imagine and the least one that I think is nothing, every sin, every heartache, every abuse, everything that weighs me down, every bondage, every darkness, all of that, he can set me free. If I really wrap my mind around that, we become confident in God's love. How many of you feel confident when your spouse shows you that they love you? Like love can bring confidence, can it? How insecure do you get when you begin to question it? Maybe you haven't thought about the confidence that it brings, but if you begin to doubt the love, then all of a sudden you begin moving in insecurity. You begin to get anxious. But love, confidence in love is powerful. See, when you wrap your mind around a love of Christ, that sacrificial love does something to you. You know, every time I, I being a soldier, I, I, I like to, a former soldier, I like to read the different accounts of, of the medals of honor. And every time I read the story of how someone um, earned a medal of honor, it grabs my heart. It grabs my heart, and I go, man, to think of that love that you would lay down your life, that you would take whatever you took to, 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 to save someone. Recently, uh, I think Pastor Rennie um, shared an article on Facebook and I think this happened recently, and unfortunately, there was this 10-year-old little girl. She was with two other little girls, and this car had lost control, this truck had lost control, and she was with them, and she jumped, and she pushed the other two little girls to safety, and she was run over and killed. And when they're interviewing the parents, the parents of these other two little girls are holding their kids, talking about the amazing love of this little 10-year-old girl who gave her life. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it does something to my heart. I think you'd have to be stone cold or dead for it not to. But it does something to your heart where you go, man, like that's just, man, that's amazing. What? You know, it just, it just lowers your walls. 
Sacrificial love does something. 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he first loved us. You ever think about that? We love because he first loved us. This is probably a terrible example, but I'll give it anyway. But back in high school, right? You remember when you were a little kid or whatever, and, and maybe there was a girl, there was a guy, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you, weren't even, you didn't even know they were around, and all of a sudden someone comes up to you and says, hey, so-and-so likes you, right? Work with me here, guys, all right? Just don't look at me like this. Just work with me. All right, you're just as bad as first service. Except Biff, he backed me up. And all of a sudden, you, you go from not even knowing that they existed to going, and you start paying attention, right? Then all of a sudden, you start developing feelings as well that weren't there. Sometimes we love because they first loved us. Has anybody experienced that? All right, thank you. You guys at least... All right, poor example. But it's true. Sometimes we love because we first... And, and, and First John, whether you believe it or not, First John says it. He says, we love because he first loved us. When you embrace that amazing love of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross to set us free, man, if you really wrap your mind around that, if you really allow your heart to receive it, man, it will lower walls. How, how could you resist someone who would give their life for you? How could those parents of those little girls resist that family who lost a girl giving her life to save their kids' lives? It does something. It lowers. Whether they knew that little girl well or not, I guarantee they would love her for what she did. Sometimes we miss this. Even we can come to communion and almost be apathetic in it. You see what I'm saying? Like we can almost, like, we can almost miss and, and not really grasp it. Man, Jesus died. That's why he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the love that I've shared. 1 Peter uh, 1, 3-4 in the message says this, What a God that we have. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And that future starts now. Through the death of Christ, he has given us life, and it starts now. And so when we move in confidence, when we really begin to embrace the redemption that we have in Christ, when we really begin to receive that love, we begin to move in confidence. We become confident in his love. When we really get the message of the cross and we really understand his love and that he died for us, we become confident also in God's grace. We become confident in his grace. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is an awesome passage. What that passage is saying is, man, you have a God that lived and walked this, this, this world. He knows every temptation. He knows every emotion. He knows every struggle. He knows everything that you're going through because he went through it too. The only difference is he did not sin. And so he says, listen, because of this, he doesn't hold us in our face against us. He says, man, because of this, you have a God that can relate to you. You have a God that can understand you. You have a God that cares about you. You don't have to try and explain, well, see, there's this emotion, and there's this struggle, and there's this fight, and, and I'm dealing with this addiction. It says he knows what you're going through. And because he knows what you're going through, he says this, listen, don't you get it? It's why I died. 
because you can't do it by yourself. And so I want you not to sheepishly come to me and go, God, here's this this little sin I've been hiding, and here it is, and I just want you. He says, no, you can come to me boldly and say, man, I'm coming to you, and I'm not hiding this from you, and it's a real struggle for me, but I know who you are, and I know that I have redemption through the cross, and I'm just giving it to you. And he says, come boldly to me. In your time of need, that means in the time of struggle where it's the worst on you, come boldly to me. He goes, and we will win this together because I've already conquered it. Man, when you understand what took place and really get what took place on that cross, you can have confidence in his love and you can have confidence in his grace. This means that we can live free of guilt. Guilt is a killer. See, guilt puts us in a place of punishment where we beat ourselves up. Every one of us in this place knows that's true. Guilt puts us in a state of paralysis where we get paralyzed. Guilt paralyzes us where we're locked into a prison of the past. Guilt robs you of joy. Guilt robs you of energy, and guilt robs you of confidence. And eventually, guilt will rob you of your faith. Scripture says that Jesus did not come to condemn us. Let me tell you something. Our sin condemned us. We stood condemned already. Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but to set us free. That's why he came. He didn't come to point us and say how guilty we were. We were guilty by ourselves. But he came to rid us of guilt. Satan's the one who wants to bring up the guilt because if Satan can bring up the guilt in you and get you to believe it and stand in it, then he will paralyze you. And if he can paralyze you, he will rob you of confidence. And if he can rob you of confidence, you won't move in love, you won't move in grace, and you certainly won't be effective for God because you're not confident that he's even forgiven you. And so the enemy works in guilt, and Jesus works in freedom. And when we understand the cross, and we understand the grace of Christ, we don't have to live in guilt. How many of you are allowing Satan to beat you up with the past over and over and over again? Let me ask you another question. How much of your past is keeping you from moving forward? How much of the past is keeping you from embracing what God has for you? Let me tell you that if that's what's happening, that's not from God. That's from the enemy because God is all about your future. Second Corinthians 5, 19 and 21 in the message says this, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that, we could put right, so that we could be put right with God. God wants everyone to know about the cross. Not to make them guilty, but to make them free. To free them from guilt. When we get the cross, we will be confident in his love. When we're confident in his love, we'll be confident in his grace. And when we're confident in his love and grace, we will be confident in his power to work through me. 
When we're confident in his love and we're confident in his grace, we'll be confident that he wants to work through me. Yes, lowly me. Yes, me who was a sinner. Yes, me who, who can identify with Mary Magdalene. Me who is that, 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 that rebel. Man, God wants to take this unclean vessel and, and clean it and then work through me. When I think about that, I, I think about the disciples and, and, and how right after Jesus was crucified on the cross, before he had risen again, they, they ran away in fear. They ran away scared. They ran away terrified. And, and they, they, they basically hid in a locked room. But after Jesus came into that room and just appeared to them, and after they saw that he was resurrected, man, something changed, right? They began to get confident. And so we see this confidence in them in Acts chapter 3. It says this, they're on the way to the temple and seeing a man who was lame from birth, and this man asked them for silver and gold. This is what they said to him. They said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the lame man walked. Does this sound like the same people who are locked behind the doors, hiding in fear of their life? Man, when Jesus empowered, when Jesus came through and they realized, wow, what he said is true. And they realized his love and they realized the grace and they realized all of this and filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, it transformed them. It empowered them. They walked out with a confidence and it wasn't a confidence and a grace that they kept to themselves. They walked up to those who were struggling. A man lame from birth and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he did. You understand his love and you understand his grace and you will move in confidence knowing that he wants to work through you. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the resurrection. So when we get this, it will give us confidence in his love, his grace, and his power through us. When we get the message of the cross, it will also give us a new fear. It will give us a fear towards sin. Why? Because sin put Jesus on the cross. The horror of the cross is what sin does. Sin leads to death. We ought to hate sin. We're going to wrestle with sin all of our lives. But we know that we can come to Christ in confidence, in his grace, and bring it before him. And he's gracious to forgive us. What we mean by this is this, we must not condone sin, justify sin, and be okay with living in sin. That, that we will live in grace while we're running from sin. Does that make sense? Some people want to take the grace side and go, because I'm covered by Jesus' grace, then I can just do whatever. He's got me. You don't understand his love, and you don't understand what sin does. And because we understand the power of sin and the, and, and the end result of sin, sin leads to, a, to death. We should be fear of sin and, and, and avoid temptation and flee from situations that, that, that could lead us into that temptation. And also, we should be afraid for the sin that's in the other people around us. And that, 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 that fear of sin should lead us into another thing, and that is a new compassion for people. We should have a new compassion for people. We recognize that if they don't open that door to Jesus Christ in their life, their sin will lead to their destruction. And we don't want to see that happen. And so that compels us to lay down our life, 
That gives us, and Jesus gives us the responsibility to say, now, you must go now and carry this message of redemption and reconciliation and freedom and hope to those who are, who are living on the sofa couch. For those who, if they don't know this message and never open this door, you need to take this message. This is part of your responsibility. If you really understand my love and you really wrap your mind around it, man, you need to know that this wasn't just for you. This is for everyone. I died to set everyone free. Whether they choose to accept it or not is up to them. But man, I want everyone to have the opportunity to look at the cross and to know this is for them. To have the opportunity to accept that freedom. 2 Corinthians 5, 19-20 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's the responsibility that God says, Now go. Now take this. I've called you to redemption. I've set you free. I've called you to live in relationship with each other and with me. And I've called you to responsibility. Now go take this message to all those who don't know. I want to close this message with this. If someone died and left you an inheritance, and you didn't know about this person dying, If someone died and left you an inheritance and it was enough money to pay off all of your debts, would you want someone to tell you? This is not a hard question. (laughs) I'm great at asking questions I know the answer to. All right? Of course. If someone died and left me money and I could get out of debt and somebody else knew that and didn't tell me, I'd be more than a little frustrated. Wouldn't you? Think about it. You're in debt right now, and there's a pile of money that can set you free, and your friend's like, I don't know if they want this. You're like, what? Are you crazy? Right? Now, if you got to the end of your life, right, you'd probably be like, why didn't you tell me? If someone died for your mom or your dad, Someone died for your next-door neighbor or for your best friend. Someone died for the people you work with. Do they deserve to know? What they do with that information is up to them. But do they deserve to know? We started this message about a new married couple who spent their first night together. And it wasn't what it could have been. I want you to know that there are people living their lives this way. They're living their lives on a sofa couch with a thin mattress and the bars and the springs. And they're desperate for something more. And in their lives, there's a door that maybe they haven't recognized yet. And available to them is that king-sized bed. Available to them is the chocolate. Available to them is those roses. And that's what God has for them. And they may never open that door. And Jesus' message to you and to me is this. Hey, would you just go and tell them about that door in their life? Would you just go and 
tell them about that door because if they could have comfort, if they could have peace, if they could just have some rest, if they could be set free, would you tell them about that? Because I, I've died for them, and that's all. You've already opened the door in your life. Don't be okay with that. Don't go to the king bed and lie down and chill out and relax. It's yours. You've got it. What he wants you to do is to embrace everything in that room. Some of us have opened the door, but we won't go in. Some of us know about it, but we won't receive the redemption. We won't receive the grace. We won't forgive the forgiveness. I have a couple questions for you. And I should stand to your feet and ask the prayer team to come. Do you really understand the message of the cross? Do you, do you really understand that message? Are you living in redemption? Are you living in relationship with God and with one another? Are you living in responsibility? As you bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want you to just to wrestle this through with God because I believe God wants to set some of you free this morning. I believe that some of you have carried change from your past into your future and God's saying, you don't quite understand my grace. And if you will allow him to, he's already got the bolt cutters. He's just waiting for you to hand the chains up, let him cut them, set you free. For some reason, you keep believing the enemy as if those chains are bigger than his grace. And you live in guilt. And Jesus says, man, that can end today. Are you living in the confidence of his love? Are you living in the confidence of his grace? Because he says, come boldly to me with your chains. And are you living in the confidence that he wants to work through you? See, you can come into this place overburdened. You can come into this place fearful and in guilt, but you can leave empowered, transformed. And that's what God has for you. That's the message of the cross. First and foremost, he wants you to get it. He wants me to get it. And he wants you to point to the door in other people's lives that don't know it exists. It's not that hard to understand. I want to pray, and I just ask that you would respond to God this morning. If he wants you to come up here and pray with someone, come and pray with someone. It's about relationship. This is why we're up here. The Bible says, man, if you're sick, come up. Let people anoint you with oil and pray for you. You don't have to go through this alone. If you're struggling, come, come talk to someone. Let them pray with you. Let them walk with you. It takes your part as well as coming to them, not just them coming to you. But this is the message of the cross, and this is what Easter's about. Well, Jesus, we come before you this morning. Father, we thank you for the message and the power of the cross and your resurrection, Lord God. 
God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that through your death and, 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 and resurrection, Father, we can see a picture of the passionate love that you have for us. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help each person in here to move and live in the confidence that they are loved by you, God. God, to receive, Lord Jesus, with confidence the grace that you have for them. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will set people free of the chains of guilt right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray, Father, that you would empower those people, Lord God, to now move out with the confidence that you want to use them, Lord Jesus. Let us embrace, Lord Jesus, our forgiveness and redemption. Let us embrace, Lord God, our relationship with you. God, teach us how to move in relationship with each other, Lord God. And God, give us a heart to accept the responsibility, Lord Jesus, that you've laid on us and to move in compassion for the people around us. That those who do not know you will be set free. We love you, Lord. We surrender our lives to you. Will you have your way in our lives and be glorified? In Jesus' name, amen.